Our scripture lesson this evening is taken from first uh, the Gospel of Matthew, page 1115, Matthew chapter 5, verses 21 through 26. Matthew 5, verse 21, you have heard that it was said to those of old, you shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, you fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. Therefore, if you bring your gift to the altar and there remember your brother has something against you, leave your gift there before the altar and go your way. First be reconciled to your brother, and then come and offer your gift. Agree with your adversary quickly while you are on the way with him, lest your adversary deliver you to the judge, and the judge hand you over to the officer, and you are thrown into prison. Assuredly, I say to you, you will by no means get out till you have paid the last penny. And then reading also from Paul's letter to Titus, Titus chapter 3, page 1,370, 1,370, Titus chapter 3, reading the first 11 verses. Remind them to be subject to rulers and authorities, to obey, to be ready for every good work, to speak evil of no one, to be peaceable, gentle, showing all humility to all men. For we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice, envy, hateful and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our Savior, that having been justified by his grace, we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. This is a faithful saying, and these things I want you to affirm constantly, that those who have believed in God should be careful to maintain good works. These things are good and profitable to men. But avoid foolish disputes, genealogies, contentions, strivings about the law, for they are unprofitable and useless. Reject a devices man after the first and second admonition, knowing that such a person is warped and sinning, being self-condemned. Thus far the reading of God's word, may he add his blessing to it. In conjunction with it, I direct your attention to Lord's Day 40 on page 891 in the back of the Psalter hymnal, page 890, and continuing also on the next page. Concerning the Sixth Commandment, which says, You shall not murder. Lord's Day 40, page 891. What is God's will for you in the Sixth Commandment? I am not to belittle, hate, insult, or kill my neighbor. Not by my thoughts, my words, my look or gesture, and certainly not by actual deeds. And I am not to be party to this in others. Rather, I am to put away all desire for revenge. I am not to harm or recklessly endanger myself either. Prevention of murder is also why government is armed with the sword. 
By forbidding, forbidding uh, does this commandment refer only to murder? By forbidding murder, God teaches us that he hates the root of murder, envy, hatred, anger, vengefulness. In God's sight, all such are dis- disguised forms of murder. Is it enough then that we do not murder our neighbor in any such way? No. By condemning envy, hatred, and anger, God wants us to love our neighbors as ourselves. Be patient, peace-loving, gentle, merciful, and friendly toward them to protect them from harm as much as we can and do good even to our enemies. Beloved of the Lord, this is a commandment that I know you have heard about. You shall not murder. It's a commandment that is very relevant because uh, during the pandemic, murder rates in our cities have escalated and uh, uh, murder is... uh, even invaded our own uh, county uh, last year, and uh, people on trial for murder uh, in uh, our communities. It is a grievous crime and one that affects the lives of many. And so I want to consider with you uh, three things tonight. What is murder? Uh, what, what is it that we're talking about when we talk about murder? Secondly, why is murder wrong? And thirdly, what does this commandment require of us? First of all, then, what is murder? And we must distinguish the fact that, as the Hebrew Bible does also, that there is a difference between murder and killing. Uh, The Hebrew word that's found in the sixth commandment, uh, ratzah is the Hebrew word, uh, is not the word that the Hebrew Old Testament uses when it describes people killing animals, either for food or for sacrifice. A different word is used. And so uh, when they kill animals, they're not murdering them. Uh, The word in the Sixth Commandment is not used to describe that kind of uh, termination of life. Likewise, the uh, word ratzah that is found in the Sixth Commandment is not used to describe killing the enemy soldiers in battle. Uh, that, too, has a different word. The, uh, and thirdly, it's uh, the word that's found in the Sixth Commandment is not used to describe the lawful ex- ex- execution of crimin- criminals uh, when God authorizes uh, criminals to be put to death. The word that's found in the Sixth Commandment is Similar to our English word uh, slay, as in uh, uh, killing with uh, violence or killing with contempt, uh, killing with malice and uh, killing out of envy. Those are the uh, kinds of uh, killings that are described in Bible as murder, the unlawful, malicious act that results in death whether the death was uh, the planned result of that malicious act or not. If uh, someone in violence uh, lashes out against someone else uh, in anger, in hatred, out of envy, 
attacks their person and the person dies, that is a murder. We uh, have examples of it. For example, uh, Cain uh, envied Abel and murdered him. Uh, David, uh, coveting David, coveted uh, the wife of Uriah the Hittite and conspired with others to murder Uriah the Hittite. But David was not guilty of murder for killing Goliath in battle. The Bible also makes clear that an accidental or unintentional death is also described by that word ratshah. That too is murder. Now, if it was accidental, if it was unintentional, uh, an act of carelessness or negligence, the punishment was not to be as severe as intentional murder, but nevertheless, it showed contempt for human life through an act of carelessness or negligence. Uh, the Bible talks about a, a loose axe head, a man swinging an axe, and the uh, axe head comes off the handle and flies through the air and hits someone and kills them. Or uh, men are clearing stones from a field and man picks up a stone and throws it uh, a little distance to the pile of stones where they're uh, putting the stones that they're clearing from the field and someone happens to walk into the path of the stone as it's flying through the air and is killed. Well, he, he had no malice or uh, anything against the man who was killed. It was a, an accident. Uh, the Bible says God let it happen. Uh, there was still that's still described as kind of murder because he should have been more careful and uh, looked both ways or should have uh, soaked the uh, axe in a pail of water the night before he used it to swell the wood and uh, make sure that that axe had uh, didn't fly off. Moses instructed the Israelites that when they were to build buildings. They had to put parapets uh, around the roof. They had flat-roofed buildings, and a parapet is a a wall, maybe waist-high or so, and that would prevent people from accidentally uh, walking off the edge of the roof. Uh, The roof was often a place where they slept on hot nights, and if somebody got up in the dark, uh, the, uh, the wall around the edge of the roof would prevent them from accidentally falling off. And if you uh, uh, didn't do that and somebody fell off your roof, well, then you could be held responsible. The same with a, an ox that gores. If an ox gores somebody and it's the first time it ever happened and nobody suspected the ox would do that, then the owner of the ox is not held responsible. But if the ox has had a history of charging at people and trying to hurt people, and uh, this time it actually killed somebody, then because the owner did not take preventative measures to make sure that that didn't happen, uh, he's held responsible for an accidental or involuntary manslaughter, we would call it today, and there would be punishment for it. And so uh, we, we... Killing a soldier in battle, executing a criminal, killing animals, none of that is murder. But when we, with malice or envy or anger, uh, unlawfully uh, attack someone so that they die or are careless and negligent, then that is what the Bible describes as murder. 
Now, the New Testament adds to that definition of murder by saying that the presence of anger or malice, uh, even without the shedding of blood, is in God's sight similar to murder, makes one guilty in God's sight of murder. Jesus said, but I say to you that everyone who is angry with his brother will be liable to the judgment. Whoever insults his brother will be liable to the council. And whoever says you fool will be liable to the hell of fire. Uh, John in his epistle, 1 John chapter 3, verse 15 says, Anyone who hates his brother is a murderer. And uh, we... Uh, See how those things go together often in the Bible. Uh, some hate somebody else and they attempt to murder him. Uh, Jacob, in uh, blessing his sons, uh, speaks of two of his sons uh, this way. They have killed men in their anger. They have killed men in their anger. Joseph's brothers hated Joseph. They were jealous of Joseph, and so they plotted to kill Joseph. Uh, in the book of Esther, the enemies of the Jews uh, sought the death of the Jews. Why? Because they hated the Jews. Hatred leads to murder. Anger leads to murder. And so Jesus is not teaching some new crime, but showing that people who were self-righteous, that just because they had not shed blood, did not mean that they were righteous in the sight of God. Uh, if you are guilty of anger, murder, or anger, envy, jealousy, and so forth, uh, and speak contemptuously about others, then in God's sight that is the moral equivalent of murder, which of course points to the fact that we truly do need a Savior. Now what makes murder such a terrible thing. Well, murder is wrong because human beings are created in the image of God. When God destroyed the world with a flood, uh, after the flood, Noah came out of the ark and offered a sacrifice to God. And God made a covenant with Noah. But not only with Noah, he made a covenant with all the earth. And one of the stipulations of that covenant was that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. Uh, this was done as a preventive measure and also as a just punishment to correct the situation that existed before the flood when the earth was full of violence. Uh, you remember uh, the man who boasted that uh, I've killed a man just for slightly injuring me. And uh, the, the whole earth is characterized by murderous violence. And so God says, okay, we're going we're to deal with that. I'm going to establish a new covenant with mankind and with the whole earth. And uh, the rainbow is the sign of that covenant. And one of the chief stipulations of the covenant was that it... Uh, uh, that whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. In 1981, long time ago, uh, there was a study committee on capital punishment. And a study committee recommended to a synod that uh, the Bible, neither the Bible nor the confessions nor the creeds require uh, governments to uh, practice capital punishment. Uh, there's no moral necessity to do this. 
And the chief argument put forward in defense of the fact that capital punishment was not necessary was the fact that Genesis 9, verse 6, For ever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed, for in the image of God created he man, that that verse is poetic. And a very uh, learned and uh, esteemed uh, emeritus professor of the uh, Church's seminary was the chairman of the committee, and uh, he pontificated at the synod that uh, because it's poetry, uh, it's not to be taken literally, and it's not a requirement. Well, I was just a a young uh, minister and didn't know that it was impolite to speak against the uh, learned, esteemed, emeritus professor, but I did uh, challenge him in in saying that... uh, Uh, Moses seemed to take it literally in his uh, stipulations in Mosaic law and practicing capital punishment in Israel. Uh, But uh, the Senate, my words didn't prevail. Uh, Later on, after the matter was settled, uh, another professor from that uh, seminary came up to me and said, you know, you could have made your argument a lot stronger if you had pointed out that Genesis 9-6 is part of a covenant. And yes, it's poetic, but that's only to make it memorable. The fact that it's part of a covenant, a covenant that is still in effect, makes it legally binding. And I looked at this professor and I said, well, you're an official advisor to Synod, and you have the privilege of the floor anytime you want. Why didn't you say that? Oh, no, no, I, I never speak against uh, the learned, uh, esteemed uh, prof- emeritus professor. Uh, uh, friendship is more important than truth, and justice is one of the reasons why that denomination is uh, uh, has changed so much for the worse. But uh, this is indeed a legally binding statement from a covenant that is still in effect. I don't know if you have your Bibles open to Genesis 9-6. Maybe you don't need to, but listen to it again. Whoever sheds, and listen to the word man. How many times does the word man appear? Whoever sheds the blood of man, by man shall his blood be shed. For in the image of God created he man. How many times does the word man appear? Well, three times. The first time, it describes the victim. The second time, it describes the executioner. And the third time, it describes man as created in the image of God. Now, when uh, it says, for in the image of God created he man, which man is being referred to? Is it the man who was the victim or is it the man who was uh, the executioner? Well, it's a trick question because it's both. The man who is the victim is valuable and his life should be treasured and kept uh, sacred and honored and preserved because he is image of God. No one should attack an image of God and try to put to death in violence or anger uh, one who is made in the image of God. Uh, Human life is sacred and therefore protected by this uh, commandment because human life is created in the image of God. But it's also the case that the executioner is the image bearer of God. Sometimes the opponents of capital punishment say, who are we 
who do we think we are that we can put a fellow human being to death? What gives, that, what gives us authority to put another human being to death? Well, this tells us what gives us that authority. Uh, the executioner is created in the image of God. And because he's created in the image of God, he can act for God when authorized by the command of God to so act on God's behalf. Uh, he is God's servant, it says in Romans 13, and does not bear the power of the sword in vain. God has put a sword in his hand to punish the evildoer and uh, to preserve order and peace in society for the sake of those who are uh, obeying the law. Uh, Human life is valuable because it is created in the image of God. Any attack upon a human being is in essence an attack upon God. And therefore it is a capital crime. And capital punishment is the appropriate punishment. The word capital means chief or of most importance. You know, we we call the city that uh, has the seat of government for a country or the seat of government for a state or a province, the the capital of that country or the capital of that state because it's the city of of greatest importance for the government of all the citizens of that country or that state. That's what the word capital means, chief importance. And uh, this is a capital crime. It is a crime of chief importance and therefore a a punishment, capital punishment, a punishment of chief importance. There is no more uh, influential punishment than putting the murderer to death. And uh, that's why we call it capital punishment, because it is uh, an attack upon an image bearer of God. Now, what do we need to keep this commandment? Well, our catechism has uh, lots of different things that we need to do, both negatively and positively. But I want to focus on just one thing uh, that sums it all up, because Jesus says that this word indeed does sum up all the commandments. Love your neighbor. In order to keep this commandment, we need to love our neighbors. We need to be concerned about our neighbor's well-being. We need to be concerned about their health and well-being and uh, uh, that they are receive justice and that they are protected. You know, the, the uh, great negative example of the wrong way to deal with this commandment is King Ahab, who coveted uh, Naboth's uh, vineyard and... Uh, Uh, with his wife, conspired to murder Naboth in order to gain his neighbor's property. You shall not covet your neighbor's vineyard. Well, he coveted, and that coveting led to murder. That's that's the opposite of obeying this commandment. Uh, The the good example in the Bible is, of course, uh, the parable of Jesus called the Good Samaritan, who saw his neighbor a uh, man he really didn't know, but someone who God in his providence put in that person's path, uh, who was in need. He had fallen among thieves. He had been beaten and robbed and uh, was bleeding and sore and needed help. And so the Good Samaritan went and uh, washed his wounds and took him to a place where he could uh, recuperate and provided money for him. He saved his life by loving his neighbor. He showed compassionate care and concern and provided what was needed. That's an example of what it means to keep this commandment, to protect and preserve human life, the benevolent care of the poor and the needy, the benevolent care of the elderly and the physically and mentally handicapped, 
uh, the defense of the unborn, uh, helping out uh, volunteering perhaps at hospitals and nursing homes and blood banks and senior programs and other things that promote the well-being of uh, your neighbors, uh, the uh, um, thrift store and uh, the well and the food bank and all of these things are uh, ways in which we love our neighbor and show our concern for the well-being of others. We need to love the elderly. You know, uh, one of my responsibilities as interim pastor named responsibilities in the uh, position profile that the consistory uh, and uh, I agreed to one of my responsibilities was to visit the elderly, and I've been doing a lot of uh, elder visits, uh, visiting of the elderly. Uh, and uh, one theme that comes up quite uh, frequently, and that is that a number of our elderly members are afraid to come to church. They're afraid to come to church because they're afraid of being knocked over knocked over by little children running around. Um, uh, most of these elderly people are not uh, angry at the children. Uh, they, like me, uh, rejoice in that our children are full of life and spunk and energy. We wouldn't want it any other way. But uh, parents of young children should keep in mind that the children need to be reminded a time from time to time that uh, running down the aisle to get out of church quickly in order to get to Sunday school right away or to get to the cookie line first or whatever, that can cause a problem for somebody who's not as steady on their feet as they were 20 or 30 years ago. Uh, if we all live to be old, we're all going to reach a time where we're unsteady on our feet and we'll appreciate it if uh, the young people who are around us are, are cognizant of that. I don't want church to become a place where little children are uh, constantly scolded and yelled at and where they uh, uh, are, don't want to come because there's so many rules and regulations that they have to obey. Uh, but this is simply a matter of loving people, loving everyone and showing concern for their well-being. And one of the ways that we show concern is to be careful around those who aren't so good on their feet anymore. Uh, and uh, that's part of loving your neighbor. Uh, we also want to protect and uh, preserve the unborn. Uh, Proverbs 24, verse 11 and 12, you know, rescue the perishing, uh, uh, involved in pro-life movements. All of that is a part of uh, keeping this commandment. We need to put to death envy and hatred and anger and the desire for revenge uh, because that indeed is the root of murder and in God's sight uh, makes us guilty. Paul, writing to the uh, Romans, uh, is uh, giving us perhaps a commentary on the Sixth Commandment when he says in Romans 12:19, Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, uh, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy hungers, feed him. If he thirsts, give him a drink, for in so doing you will keep coals of fire on his head. Uh, not only do we need to be concerned about uh, feeding our enemies and giving them drink, but feeding them the Word of God. Uh, the best way to treat 
uh, all the people of the world is to have a heart of compassion for them and say what they need most is the gospel. And we as members of the Church of Jesus Christ are charged as a body to bring the gospel to the world. Go out into all the world and make disciples, teaching them to obey all the things that Christ has commanded, baptizing them in the name of uh, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not all are called to baptize, not all are called to teach and preach, but every member of the church has a gift that they can use to contribute to the mission of the church so that the church as a body can go into the world and be a light to the world and bring the light of the gospel uh, to the uh, enemies of the gospel, to turn them from enemies into brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, I read that passage from, uh, from, the, from Titus. and it, it says something really, when you stop and think about it, it's a little shocking. He says, for we, we ourselves were also once foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving various lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful and hating one another. We ourselves were hateful and hating one another. We ourselves were murderers. We ourselves were murderers. That's what he's saying there. We ourselves were once hated and hating one another, filled with malice and envy. We are all guilty of murder in the sight of God. But then the glorious good news, when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared toward men, not by works which we have done, but by his mercy, he saved us. He saved us by the washing of renewal and regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Spirit. He saved us through the atoning work of Jesus Christ. Christ paid for all your and my murderous thoughts and ideas, all our anger, all our envy, all our malice, all our hatred. He paid for it all. And he is also renewing us by his Holy Spirit that he has poured out on us so that his loving spirit, the love with which he loved us, uh, we now can show to others. It says in the Bible that we love because he first loved us. In order for you to be a loving person, in order for you to keep the sixth commandment by loving your neighbor and loving your enemy, you need to know that you are loved. And in order to know that you are loved, look to the cross and see that there Jesus saved murderers. He was crucified between murderers who represented us. We were represented there, but he died to save the likes of us. Hallelujah. Amen. Father in heaven, we thank you for Jesus who loves murderers and offers his life to pay for the sin of murder. We thank you that he saved us by the work that he did for us and by the washing and renewal of the Holy Spirit which is now poured out on us generously. We pray, Father, that we in gratitude may learn to love one another and even to love our enemy and to bring the gospel even to the ends of the earth. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen.